is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Number 877-381-3811, The drafting women provision in the National Defense Act that they were planning on passing was removed thanks to public pressure. That public pressure would be you. When Chip Roy came on the program, great congressman from Texas, and alerted us to this provision, some Republicans had even voted for it, you killed it. You might recall we had a Levin surge. The Levin surge, you folks in this audience, killed it. Number two, so far, the Build Back ridiculous bill, which would destroy this country, has been blunted. Now, it's too early to cheer and celebrate. These people never stop 24-7. They have designs on your money, on your future, on your children, on your home, on your property. And on this country, that's the nature of American Marxism. But as of right now, as of right now, Senator Manchin is under attack by his own party, particularly the radical elements within his own party. He's under attack by the Biden administration. He's under attack by the the propaganda Democrat Party, American Marxist media. So let me suggest that you call... Senator Manchin's office and tell them thank you so far for holding the line. Thank you so far for holding the line and as long as you hold the line you'll have the support of millions of Americans and an untold number of West Virginians as well. This is very important because he's only hearing from one side. Now, there's a lot here. I only have three hours. As I've told you many times before, this show could be five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten hours. But I'm not Jerry Lewis, and I don't do telethons, let alone radiothons. Could be a lot of fun, but I do want to spend a little bit of time on, number one, this this January 6th committee, again, and number two, what's going on in the prisons, where people are being held in Washington, D.C., which only a handful of reporters and members of Congress seem to be concerned about. 
Over at the Federalist, Tristan Justice points out that Wyoming Republican Liz Cheney went after former President Donald Trump in her primetime performance on Monday, claiming that private messages of the president's staff revealed an apathetic leader, complicit with the riot at the Capitol as the attack unfolded. She said the violence was evident to all. It covered in real time by almost every news channel, said Cheney, Pelosi's hand-picked vice chairman of the select committee. But for 187 minutes, President Trump refused to act when action by our president was required, indeed essential and compelled by his oath to our Constitution. Trump's 187-minute delay to act, she added, was a supreme dereliction of duty. An actual examination of the day's events, however, shows there was no such delay. According to a detailed timeline, a detailed timeline of the turmoil by the New York Times of all places, their first building was not breached until 2.13 p.m. The timeline was collaborated by the Washington Post, which stamped the first break-in at 2.15 p.m. Trump's first tweet addressing the upheaval shortly followed at 2.38 p.m. when the president made a plea for peace, writing, please support our Capitol Police and law enforcement. They are truly on the side of our country. Stay peaceful. Stay peaceful. That was 23 minutes later. Not 187 minutes. About 30 minutes later, Trump addressed the demonstrators again on Twitter. I'm asking for everyone at the U.S. Capitol to remain peaceful. No violence! Exclamation, wrote the president. Remember, we are the party of law and order. Respect the law and our great men and women in blue. Thank you! Exclamation. That was 30 minutes after the Capitol building was breached. At 4.17 p.m., Trump posted a video on Twitter urging rioters to go home, a message that was promptly suppressed across the platform. Exactly where Cheney came up with the 187-minute delay is unclear. If starting the clock from the time Trump finished his speech at the White House at 1.10 p.m., unrest at the Capitol gates had already been ensuing for about 20 minutes. During the address, Trump explicitly called on those gathered to protest peacefully, quote-unquote. Cheney's office did not respond to the Federalist inquiries. And this is not the first time Cheney or the January 6th committee have gone after President Trump and Republican voters with the creation and deployment of fake news. In the election year summer of 2020, Cheney was a primary purveyor of the fake Russian bounty stories, which alleged that Trump downplayed Kremlin aggression to accelerate the timeline for troop withdrawal from Afghanistan. At the same hearing on Monday, where Cheney made up her own timeline of the Capitol riot, Adam Schiff read text between Ohio Republican Jordan and White House Chief of Staff Meadows, which the Federalists revealed on Wednesday, were fabricated. The exchange, Schiff said, exposes a lawmaker pressing the vice president to unilaterally deny certification of the Electoral College votes as unconstitutional. But the message was forwarded to Meadows from Jordan, originally written by a Washington attorney, former Defense Department Inspector General Joseph Schmitz. The message, a sliver of which Schiff took out of context, adding punctuation and cooking up a fake graphic to illustrate it, was part of a four-page document that outlined the legal reasons behind Pence's authority to object to electoral certification from a handful of states. And we mentioned this yesterday, of course. The January 6th committee later confirmed the Federalist reporting and admitted the message was doctored. Now, where did Liz Cheney get 187 minutes from? When 23 minutes after the, 
the Capitol was breached, the president tweeted, urging people to be peaceful and to support law enforcement. That law enforcement and the Capitol Police are truly on the side of our country. Then a few minutes later, he addressed the demonstrators again on Twitter. I'm asking for everyone at the U.S. Capitol to remain peaceful. This is 30 minutes after the breach. No violence, the president wrote. Remember, we are the party of law and order. Respect the law and our great men and women in blue. Thank you. 4.17 p.m., third time, Trump posted his video on Twitter urging rioters to go home. This committee is filled with scumbags. I don't know how else to put it. Scumbags. People who doctor evidence. And now Liz Cheney has doctored a timeline. These subpoenas are outrageous. They've now subpoenaed a photographer who is suing the committee to stop them. She says, they're violating my privacy. They want all these text messages and emails and so forth that have nothing to do with anything. A photographer. You won't hear Mitch McConnell speak up. You won't hear John Thune speak up. Almost every Republican on the Senate side is sitting on their mouths. The only people fighting this really are the House Republicans. And some of them are sitting on their mouths. And of course the entirety, the entirety of the America Propaganda Corps with a few exceptions that don't belong to that core, our cover-up artists, they could have looked at the timeline as easily as the Federalists did, but they didn't want to. They're promoting Cheney, they're promoting Schiff, as they always do, who is a lying scumbag. Did I say scumbag? Yes, I think I did. It's a word I almost never use, but I've run out of words to describe these people. So this committee, this committee has committed numerous acts of impropriety, And if these individuals were under oath and conducting themselves under the rules of a court of law, they'd be disbarred, they'd be thrown out of court, and worse, they'd be held in contempt. As you and I hold them in contempt. When we come back, George Parry, a former federal and state prosecutor in the American Spectator, a special report, exactly what is going on in these D.C. prisons in pre-trial detention. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. I want to thank The Blaze, 
Breitbart. Washington Examiner, our buddy Paul Bedard. And others. handful of others for... Uh, for their, their pieces on the American Marxism and what a major success it has been in the country. I didn't get any calls from CNN or MSNBC. I didn't get any calls from the New York Slimes or the Washington Compost. Any of the book associations? I don't know. Was it mentioned on conservative talk radio today, Mr. Producer? I wasn't listening. You missed it? And I'm sure all my friends... At the other platform I'm on, I'm sure they all mentioned it. I want to thank Hannity last night, who did. I'm more than happy to promote other people's books. I have them on here more than any other host in America, as you all know. I have more substitute hosts than any other host in America. It's a massive platform we have here. I believe you need to build up the movement. You need to give credit and acknowledge wherever possible. There needs to be a farm team. And so I, as I've told you before, I'm an activist. I'm committed to the mission. Other people are committed to their own bravado and their own self-promotion. Not me. Not me. I want to get into this story. It's going to go beyond the bottom of the hour. It's going to take a little bit of time. But a lot of things do. Because in this case... It's not being covered. The Great American Spectator by my buddy Bob Terrell. He's been doing this a long time. George Parry, former federal and state prosecutor. A visit to the D.C. Gulag. This is how totalitarianism looks. The plight of America's January 6th prisoners in pretrial detention. November 24, 2019, Kathleen Landerkin, deputy warden of the District of Columbia Jail, tweeted the following public service announcement. F everyone who supports Trump, quote-unquote. This is a public employee. The number two warden at the D.C. jail. This was but one of her many informative tweets regarding President Trump, his supporters, and Republicans in general. For example, consider the following representative sampling of Ms. Landerkin's deep thoughts as called from her Twitter account. Replying to at real Donald Trump, give it an effing break. White men are more dangerous than immigrants. By the way, she's a white woman. Replying to at real Donald Trump, how many Americans have been killed by white American men? How about a story on alt-right killers and hate crimes? How did the idiots of this country fall for your bull S? Replying to at real Donald Trump, what the F is it with you and size? Must be the mushroom. You know what? To the two old white racists who felt the need to flip me off tonight, right back at you. If you're more offended by my free expansion than you are of Trump today, the problem is you. I can't wait until you're all extinct. She writes, Trump is doing more damage to this country than foreign terrorists ever have. Replying to at GOP, his Trump's corrupt staff and family met with the Russians. How many times before the election? How many times did they lie about a meeting with Russians? How many are in prison? Schiff is a hero. Replying to at real Donald Trump, you'll be in jail soon. Replying to at Secretary Pompeo, and with that, they should throw you in jail. Replying to at real Donald Trump, we know Obama did nothing wrong. You, on the other hand, are corrupt and are running scared because you know Mueller's coming for you. Remember, this is the deputy warden. Replying to at real Donald Trump, you're a traitor. You don't get to determine what's patriotic. 
Leave the people, that is Antifa, engaging in a peaceful, peaceful protest, that would be the Portland riots, alone. Why the hell are you involved in stirring S-pot for your deplorables? You'll be in jail soon. Replying to at GOP leader, he, Trump, didn't win the popular vote. Abolish the electoral color. Regarding Brett Kavanaugh, the same deputy warden, apparently retweeted, after Kavanaugh's confirmation of the Supreme Court, we know one thing for sure. Sexual predators will always have a safe space in today's Republican Party. In another tweet, she declared, I am one of many white females who work for social justice. In regard to the jail January 6th Capitol Hill protesters, many of whom are in her jail, she approvingly retweeted, every prison needs a MAGA wing. And in response to the tweet, D.C. jail is run by D.C. government agency, I bet good money. No Fox News is being shown. She tweeted, nope, no Fox News. There's more, but you get the idea. The foul-mouthed deputy warden, Landerkin, appears to be one angry social justice warrior. So imagine what must have been her near-orgasmic delight when scores of those Trump-supporting January 6th Capitol Hill protesters were lodged at her very own D.C. jail. And she and her like-minded colleagues would at long last be able to physically instruct those white racist Republicans in the errors of their ways. Which brings us to what a congressional delegation found during their recent visit to the D.C. jail. On November 4, 2021, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, Republican of Georgia, and Louis Gohmert, Republican of Texas, and their staffs, and why just those two? toward the D.C. jail Central Detention Facility, the CDF, and Central Treatment Facility, the CT. The purpose of the visit was to inspect the conditions at these facilities and determine the treatment and status of the January 6th protesters held in the CTF. And the delegation did publish its findings in, quote, unusually cruel an eyewitness report from inside the D.C. jail. What follows is taken from that report. When we return, I will highlight aspects taken from this report. Unbelievable. I'll be right back. Mark Levin, the champion of liberty and true conservatism. Call Mark now, 877-381-3811. All right, let's get back into this. So we have the two congresspersons and their staff. They go into this place. You've heard about the deputy warden, Broomhilda. So November 4th, 2021, six weeks ago, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Louis Gohmert, their staffs toured the D.C. jail central detention facility, CDF, and central treatment facility. They wanted to inspect the conditions. They put out a report. Have you heard about this report? No. Unusually cruel, an eyewitness report from inside the D.C. jail. On November 2, the United States Marshal Service had released a report regarding its surprise inspection of this D.C. jail. The report declared that the CDF did not meet the Marshal's minimum standards of confinement. Approximately 400 inmates would be moved to a federal prison in Pennsylvania. But according to the Marshal Service, the conditions at the jail were not bad enough to require moving the January 6th protesters to another facility. So they moved 400, but not the protesters. 
On the morning of November 4, Representatives Green and Gomert personally delivered a letter to the D.C. Mayor's Office signed by Green, Gomert, Representative Matt Gates, and Paul Gosar. Addressed to Mayor Muriel Bowser, the letter expressed the signatories, quote, continued frustration with your office's repeated denial of access to the D.C. jail. Also stated that on July 29, Deputy Warden Landerkin had charged the congressional delegation with trespassing and on multiple occasions had avoided and evaded their questions, forcibly locked them out of the facilities as well. The mayor's office did not respond to the letter until 6.16 p.m. when it offered Representative Green the option of attending a tour previously arranged by the D.C. City Council set to begin at 6.30 p.m. With less than 15 minutes before the tour supposedly started, Congresswoman Green and her staff raced to the facility as did Congressman Gomert and two staff members. In the facility, they saw a variety of jail populations and conditions which were cramped, fetid, and atrocious. But they also observed a group of well-behaved young men, young men emerging, accessing educational resources and practicing moot court under the tutelage of of a Georgetown Law Center student. Members of the young men emerging said that they were reading books with emphasis Uh, the unusual cruelty of the American justice system and intended to study materials which promote the view that the U.S. perpetuates a racial caste system. Oh, lovely. Now, in the common areas of the jail, they found reading materials which promoted the nation of Islam and critical race theory. But when the delegation sought to enter the facility, none none other than Deputy Warden Landerkin once again blocked their way. This led to a heated confrontation by the delegation with a representative of the mayor's office who was on the tour. Representative Green threatened to go to the media. Representative Gomer told Deputy Warden Landerkin, you understand, we can also make an appearance before the U.S. judge, and I intend to take that action. But Landerkin did not relent, so the mayor's representative finally and reluctantly instructed her to open the door. The barred door swung open, and the delegation entered. Here, taken verbatim from the report, is a summary of what they found. Quote, Notwithstanding the warm welcome from the inmates, the physical conditions in which they are held can only be described as inhumane. For example, cells in the January 6th wing of the CDF were extremely small, composed of a single toilet sink and a small bed cot. The walls of the rooms had residue of human feces, body fluids, blood, dirt, and mold. The community showers were recently scrubbed of black mold some of which remained. The interior walls of the common area were also freshly painted. According to the inmates, the U.S. Marshals had recently visited the area just days before, which caused a flurry of activity by the guards to clean up the January 6th area, while the U.S. Marshals were inspecting another area. Inmates explained they did not have access to their attorneys, families, or proper nutrition from the jail. Shortly after entering the January 6th wing of the CDF, Inmates assembled for their daily salute to the American flag and singing of the national anthem. Following almost an hour of personal interviews with January 6 detainees all in attendance, except the D.C. jail staff, gathered in a circle while Congresswoman Green closed the group in prayer. Approximately 10.15 p.m., members and staff exited the facilities. It's also important to note the D.C. jail facility has an area designed for meetings between attorneys and clients, with plexiglass and phones as they, are, as they face each other through the glass. Use of the facility should not result in 14 days of solitary confinement for meeting with an attorney. Now that was the summary. But to get the complete picture, 
Let's look at this from verbatim from the report. After exiting the elevator and turning right, the delegation of approximately 15 people filed into a narrow hallway, which led to a secluded area in the back of the CDF. This area was noticeably different. The January 6th detainee wing was a much older part of the jail that had not been updated in many years. One inmate claimed that this section of the jail had once been used as a psychiatric ward that had been decommissioned before the January 6th inmates were assigned there. D.C. Department of Corrections staff, that's D.C. DOC staff, opened a door and allowed Representatives Green and Gomar to enter a large, white, artificially lit room with approximately 40 inmates in orange scrubs scattered throughout the room. Inmates began to pour out of the rooms and approach the delegation of representatives and staff. The wing had two floors with cells along the walls of both. The center of the room contained a few scattered chairs and tables, but largely just an open space. The remainder of the room had an aged electronic panel controlling the cell doors and a common shower area with three individual showers with curtains. Moments after Representatives Green and Gomert entered the room, the inmates broke into exciting yelling and triumphant shouting, astounded by a visit from two sitting members of Congress. The inmates were overwhelmed with emotion, some crying, almost all emotionally shaken. One inmate asked to hug the Congresswoman. Except for the January 6th detainees, no other inmates in any part of the jail cried during the visit. Many January 6th inmates had not seen their families in some time and expressed a sense of hope after such a long period of isolation from the outside world. Remember, remember they're in detention. They haven't been convicted of anything. As inmates gathered around, the representative chants of USA, USA rang out. Inmates began to form a line to shake hands with Representatives Green and Gomert and their staff. And Congresswoman Green began to ask questions. Are you able to see and speak to your attorneys? Inmates, no. Are you able to talk to, see, uh, talk to and see your family members? Inmates, no. I haven't seen my family since April. I haven't seen my family's faces since all year and other. If you have long hair, is that by choice? Inmates, unless you're vaccinated, you have to use Nair. Do you feel like you're being treated fairly? No, absolutely not. We only get five hours a day out of our cells, which is better than one hour. We were held for 23 hours a day when we got here. Do you go outside? Twice a week. How many times do you get meals? Three. Define meal. How often do you get mail? Whenever the jail guards feel like it. Do you get to be included in any educational classes or training? And then there was immense sarcastic group laughter. Tell me about religious services. Are you allowed to have religious services? No, we do our own. Do you have a Bible? Yes, ma'am. They said the only way to get communion is to get vaccinated. They sprayed all the cells with bleach before the marshals came. As the discussion continued, this is the report. The inmates assembled for their nightly singing of the Star Stangle Banner at 9 p.m. Following the singing of the national anthem, the congressional delegation began to mingle and have individual discussions with the inmates. Staff for Representative Green's office were shown the conditions inside the cells and community showers. Recently removed mold, dirt, and other stains were visible, clearly visible. Inmates claimed the marshal service had come through areas before, days before, and cleaned it up, in addition to painting the walls or having them painted. Some inmates disclosed that when they arrived in the area, the cells were crawling with rats and bed bugs. Their air circulation in individual cells is so minimal that human feces and other smells begin to fester and pollute the air. But the physical conditions of the area were just the start. Inmates were only allowed out of their cells for five hours a day, a small mercy. 
Prior to this relative freedom, <clears throat> inmates were kept in their cells similar to the maximum security inmates, 23 and 1. 23 hours in the cell, one hour out. 22 and 2, 21 in the cell, three out. One inmate who'd been detained since February 3rd explained that he had been subjected to 23 and 1 for four months, followed by two months of 22 and 2. Now, this inmate stated that he had gone through 200 days of solitary confinement. This type of treatment is being used against inmates who are all pre-trial. They haven't been convicted of anything. Despite remaining innocent until proven guilty under the law, the January 6th inmates are allowed few, if any, basic human needs. For example, to supplement their lack of nutrition from the jail, inmates must buy food from the commissary with their own money, limited to once a week with a maximum of $125. Inmates cannot receive a haircut unless they are vaccinated. They cannot receive communion without being vaccinated. Many have been reduced to using Nair to chemically burn their hair off to keep themselves partially groomed. Most cannot speak to their families. Some are not even sure whether their family members know they're alive or their condition. <clears throat> One elderly inmate, 71-year-old Lonnie Leroy Kaufman, was in such poor condition that his lower forearm had turned purple and his thumb black. Inmates claim Lonnie could be in danger of losing his lower arm and has been denied medical treatment. Multiple inmates argue that if there were a way to get any inmate released, it should be Lonnie. Many inmates suffered from a variety of health and dietary issues, one with a broken finger, another with uh, celiac disease, celiac disease, excuse me. The inmate with celiac disease must go days without eating because the jail will not accommodate his dietary needs. Other inmates claimed that the jail inserts chemicals and pubic hair in their food. Some inmates keep crackers or peanut butter in their cells to supplement their diet. The severe treatment of these inmates within the facility cannot be overstated. These men have no access to a law library to work on their cases. Some are forced to represent themselves pro se, drafting dozens of pages of legal motions on notebook paper. Inmates stated they are only allowed outside twice a week. They cannot go to religious services in the main CTF area because they're not vaccinated. Now, we're going to take a short break, but I'm going to continue. I think this is crucially important. Do you not, Mr. Producer? This is... Unbelievable in the United States of America. These people haven't been convicted of a damn thing. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Representatives Green and Gomert continued to talk with the inmates, sign their Bibles and Constitution, listen to their stories. Staff received information from many of the inmates on the status of their cases, conditions in the January 6th detainee wing of the CDF, or requests to contact family or attorneys. One inmate provided Representative Green with a longer explanation of how the January 6th group of inmates were being treated in the months leading up to the visit. Inmate 1. Says Congresswoman Green, I want to talk to you about September 18th. Remember, they had the big rally in support of us at the square in Washington. They, the Department of Corrections, woke us up prisoner of war style in the dawn at 7 in the morning. They made us grab our mattresses in our hands and didn't tell us where we were going, what was happening, how long we're going to be gone. They marched us down single file out of here. 
We started singing the national anthem. I got punched in the gut for singing the national anthem by a guard here as retaliation. They pulled us down into a random part of the jail and kept us there for nine hours where there were no sinks, no bathrooms, or anything. We didn't know what was happening to us. It was literally how you treated prisoners of war to keep them disoriented and not let them know where they're going and everything. It was a travesty. They did that to us about eight in the morning to about six at night. Inmate number two, that was the day the rally happened. I saw him get punched by the officer. Inmate one, for singing the national anthem, I got punched in the gut. Another conversation involved inmates singing God Bless America in their cells in early June 2021 in the retaliation from jail guards. Inmate, on June 1, 2021, we the inmates sang God Bless America at 11.45 p.m. And Corporal Holmes, who was not normally stationed there, into their area and told us to shut the F up. We replied that we were singing God Bless America, and the guy replied, F America, and then went up to one cell, turned his camera off, and said he would beat his ass, referring to the inmate. The guard came back at 4.30 a.m. on June 2nd, taunting and harassing us. We wrote multiple grievances about this officer, and they were all returned by the guard himself. Now, this delegation's report contains much more, and he writes, I urge you to read it in its entirety. Landerkin recently tried to make her Twitter account disappear, but nothing on the Internet ever goes away. The tweets were retrieved and republished by CyberSleuth. As for Representative Green, she just posted this tweet addressed to Landerkin. Good morning, Deputy Warden. How's the D.C. Gulag this morning? You're responsible for human rights violations in the D.C. jail and torture and abuse of pretrial defendants. It's clearly because of your extreme political views. But you're not alone. Many are guilty, too. In the letter to Mayor Bowser, the delegation called for the termination of Deputy Warden Landerkin. So far, that hasn't happened. And given the prevailing political orientation of the D.C. government, rather than being fired, it's more likely she will receive a raise in a Department of Corrections Employee of the Month award. Meanwhile, as Merrick Garland's Justice Department slow walks the Capitol Hill insurrection prosecutions, quote-unquote, Deputy Warden Latterkin and her like-minded colleagues have ever more time to sadistically re-educate the white Republican Trump-supporting January 6th pretrial detainees in the ways of social justice. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. I will not be here tomorrow. I won't be back till January 3rd. Uh, you'll be in the good hands of Ritzy Valdez. Mr. Callscreen, he's a good man. Good, good guy. And, um, and other hosts throughout the course of the holiday uh, and a couple of wonderful best-ofs. So we'll still be here in one form or another. Uh, when it comes to Blaze TV uh, and the Levin TV program, You'll have access to all the programming. We've got brand new programming I just finished. When it comes to the Fox show, we have a fantastic show this Sunday. Uh, we're going to have uh, Radcliffe, who's a great guy, the former director of uh, National Intelligence. 
as well as uh, Michael Pillsbury, one of the preeminent experts on China. And our subject will be China. And you're going to learn things about what they're doing and what they've been doing that you haven't heard before. And I need to put this back on the national map and get our colleagues in these various platforms to really start focusing on this. We need to push the nation towards focusing on this, too. China is a grave enemy, a grave enemy. And we do need to talk about it at more length. We've talked about it for years and years and years here before anybody even focused on it. We've talked about the the comparable military uh, uh, power between the two countries and on and on and on. So this will be, I think, a very, very important show. If you can't watch it live, I hope you'll DVR it. I hope you'll DVR it. And uh, Fox put out a release, I think it was today or yesterday, pointing out that... Uh, among other things, Life, Liberty, and Levin, looking at the ratings, of course, was and is the number one Sunday primetime show uh, on cable news in the evenings. And we've been there for a long time, and that's thanks to you. As with everything else, it's thanks to you, you Levinites, you patriots out there. And we can't thank you enough. And um, see, did I miss anything? I don't think so. Biden Joint Chiefs, NOM, N-O-M, embraces gender advisors for our troops. This is part of what I talk about on the Sunday show, how we're focused on this sort of stuff, and the communist Chinese are focused on killing us. President Joe Biden's nominee, Free Beacon, for the vice chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, told the Senate gender advisors for combat troops are critical to U.S. success, a position some veterans say is nothing more than a left-wing initiative that distracts from the military's core duties. Where are we finding these generals? And are they working for us or the enemy? Who are these fools? The revelation came during a December 8 exchange with Senator Gene Shaheen, nitwit, Democrat, New Hampshire, who asked how Admiral Christopher Grady intends to implement, quote, women, peace, and security legislation within the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Women, peace, and security? The role of a gender advisor is a way to attack a very significant issue, and if confirmed, I look forward to leveraging those advisors who can make me think better and smarter about the issues that you raise, Grady said. So I look forward to, if confirmed, understanding the ecosystem and helping advance the cause going forward again. This is a general. This is a general. The Women, Peace, and Security Act of 2017 required the Department of Defense to require training in, quote, security initiatives that specifically addresses the importance of meaningful participation by women and to develop, quote, effective strategies and best practices for ensuring meaningful participation by women. So I guess this is one of the now core objectives of the United States military. Grady's answer drew outrage from veterans such as Jason Church, who earned a Purple Heart when serving in Afghanistan. He told the Washington Free Beacon that gender advisors are nothing more than liberal pet projects to score points with Democratic lawmakers. He said when someone nominated to be the vice chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff says something like this, it tells me top brass is aligned with the radical political elements in the country. You have people's lives on the line. These positions aren't about how to communicate with Afghan women. We have a diplomatic corps for that. No, it's about how to save Afghan women, actually. Military gender advisors occupy nebulous role within the armed forces. You ever think you'd see the day all this crap was going on? 
military gender advisors. I'm a little confused, Mr. Producer, in America. I thought gender was a matter of mind over body. I thought gender was flexible. What, 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 what's a gender advisor? What's a military gender advisor? Somebody who advises you on your penis or your vagina? What is a military gender advisor? I'm, I'm quite serious, but what the hell is this? In our schools, in our military, in the last decade, NATO and the U.S. military have made concerted efforts to expand the number of gender advisors in their ranks. Can they shoot these gender advisors? They don't know how to uh, kill the enemy? The proliferation of gender advisors are part of a general cultural shift in the U.S. military. In May, a group of 30 Republican lawmakers sent a letter to Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. That's pointless. To, quote, take action to fight back against the creeping left-wing extremism in the U.S. military. Do you all feel safer now? Do you all feel safer now? With the gender advisors? What are they advising people about their gender? Hmm? Come to think of it, maybe this isn't a bad idea, Mr. Producer. I think we need gender advisors over there at the Constipated News Network. Oh, yes. A gender advisor could remind the legal analyst there, Jeff Tubin, to keep his pants on. Maybe he would have been available to, to tell Fredo Cuomo, don't smack women on the tuchus. Especially those you're not married to. Maybe the gender advisor could have told D. Lemon, don't assault another man in the bar. Sexually. I think that's a real possibility. Maybe if there had been a gender advisor at CBS, Charlie Rose would still be working. Or a gender advisor on the Today Show, Matt Lauer, which will still be working. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. Tip of the iceberg of the sleazeballs that are in that business. Tip of the iceberg. Gender advisors. Isn't that fascinating? I wonder how they're trained. How do you train a gender advisor? How do you know what somebody's gender is? You can't tell by the physicality, the biology. You have to talk to them, I guess. You appear to be a man. I'm not a man. Oh, appear to be a woman. I'm not a woman. Okay. What's this binary stuff? Man, woman? You must be a white supremacist with a white dominant society. Well, is there something more? Of course, there's something more. Are you familiar with Facebook? Uh, Yes, I am. Well, Facebook at one point had over 50 varieties of genitalia, what you do with genitalia, genderism, You're not hip, you're not up. And you're triggering me. What? Oh, you're triggering me. Oh. Black Lives Matter activists demand abolition of Chicago police's racist gang database. They want to eliminate the Chicago police's gang database because obviously it's racist. Isn't that shocking? Another racist surveillance tool used to criminalize 
is the Chicago Police Department's gang database, they said. Of the half a million gang arrest cards recorded, 95% of the individuals designated as gang members were black and Latinx. I guess Black Lives Matter is not up on the language. Latinos don't want to be called Latinx. Got it? 91.3% of all these individuals are male. Mm Mm-hmm. Almost that percentage of murders are young black men killing young black men. Imagine that. And so the answer is to get rid of the racist Chicago Police Department gang database, you see, so they're not able to track people down. Because we all know that police departments are systemically racist. The fact that they're trying to get gang members off the street who are killing innocent citizens demonstrates their white supremacy. And so I would ask LeBron James, the people at ESPN, Espen, I would ask the corporatists, I would ask Oprah, I would ask, you happy you funded Black Lives Matter now? Because the truth is, Black Lives Matter is anti-Black Lives Matter. Because if we imposed everything Black Lives Matter wanted, more blacks would die. More blacks would be criminalized. More black neighborhoods would be a disaster. More blacks wouldn't be educated because there'd be no efforts at school choice. Black Lives Matter is a Marxist organization. All these fools on the left. White liberals, black liberals, all these contemptible fools. Back an organization like this. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin'. The National Football League. Have you been enjoying uh, professional football, ladies and gentlemen? This is from The Blaze. NFL reportedly funneling cash to defund the police groups through its social justice initiative. Now, these stadiums are loaded with cops. Have you noticed? National Football League, through its Inspire Change social justice program, writes Phil Shiver. I mean, what, what has come of this country? is providing financial support to multiple groups that openly advocate for the defunding or abolition of police, Fox News reported. Following a review of the NFL's Inspire Change program partners, the news outlet reportedly discovered among the 33 groups that receive financial backing from the multi-billion dollar league are three that espouse highly controversial beliefs. The organizations in question are the Vera Institute of Justice, the Oregon Justice Resource Center, and the Community Justice Exchange, all of which openly support anti-law enforcement causes. Vera Institute of Justice President Nicholas Turner wrote in June 2020 that his organization, quote, is committed to dismantling the current culture of policing and working towards solutions that defund police and shift power to communities. In the blog post, Turner celebrated the Minneapolis City Council's attempt to disband the local police department. Of course, in the wake of George Floyd's death, the move was ultimately rejected by the voters in a ballot initiative last month. That's okay. The NFL is helping to fund them. The Oregon Justice Resource Center has also not been shy about its anti-cop and anti-racist motivations. In a tweet last year, the group lamented, The brutality of law enforcement and cruelty of our prisons are connected by the same malignant tumor, white supremacy. We must dismantle and defund it all. 
NFL is helping to fund that. The Community Justice Exchange states on its website that it is an abolitionist organization that is working towards a world without prisons, policing, prosecution, surveillance, any form of detention or supervision. They all sound like part of this American commie movement, don't they? Fox News noted the group's work includes publishing a roadmap to prison abolition. You favor that, LeBron? How about you, Oprah? I bet Oprah doesn't live a thousand miles from a prison. No, not her. She would never do that. Talk is cheap. On the Inspire Change website, the NFL boasts that its support of the group funds the creation of 75-plus local community-based bail and bond funds, working to end money bail and pretrial detention at the local level and immigration detention at the national level. Why would we work to eliminate that? And if they're going to do that, why don't they look at what's going on in the D.C. correction system? No, 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 no. While it's broadly understood, the NFL financially supports a wide range of so-called progressive social justice causes, a.k.a. Marxist causes. The fact that it specifically supports defund the police groups is a new revelation, and one that may be troubling for fans of the league. In a statement to Fox News, the league spokes idiot defended its selection of the three groups, as well as its support for their causes. So the league defends this. It said, quote, our 33 social justice grant partners have been selected based on the critical work that they've done surrounding inspired changes, four pillars, education, economic advancement, criminal justice reform, and police and community relations to break down barriers to opportunity and systemic racism and bridge the gap between members of law enforcement and the communities they serve. We stand by the work our grant partners have done and the lasting positive impact made in our communities across the country. You idiots. You stand by a rise in murder? By slashing police resources? I would love to see these clown NFL teams play without any security, private or cops. I'd love to see it. What will they do then? I mean, LeBron can't even stand when the fan is heckling him from the front row. Get rid of that guy. Get rid of that guy there. Oh, I'm sorry. Were you offended? But that's not all. There's more. This from Breitbart, the National Football League, again, published a map on social media Thursday incorrectly depicting the sovereign nation of Taiwan as part of China. The map was meant to illustrate the debut of international marketing areas for different teams. The L.A. Rams were designated to promote their brand in China. As American football is largely unpopular around the world, and appetite for the NFL at home has declined significantly, the league appears to be following the National Basketball League in seeking to profit from business with communist China, despite its extensive record of human rights atrocities, including crimes against athletes. Wow. Social justice reform at home, slavery, and genocide abroad. The National Football League is the national effed up league. You want to know the truth? Run by a bunch of frauds, freaks? Yes. And that the league, the head of the league, what's his name? Roger Goodell. Clown makes $40 million a year, $45 million a year. All the health care is paid for. Private jet. But he's down for the revolution. That sorry ass, he's down for his own job. 
down for his another another slip and fall lawyer who found a who found a position because the guy in front of him passed away. He was next in line. That jerk. Good job, National Freak League. Good job for you. National effed up league. China, okay. And we're going to get rid of Taiwan, too. How? We're going to change the map. Like Hamas and Hezbollah. Israel's not on the Middle East map. Okay. Well, Taiwan's not on the map. They can all go to hell. Seriously. That would be real social justice. That would be equality. These multimillionaires in these sports having to actually work for a living rather than wear uh, pampers and depends and running up and down the court with their stupid stuff on their sneakers. Or football, where they're all padded up, pounding each other. Do it like the gladiators. You want to be really tough guys? You know, do it like the uh, UFC, MMA. These people are not patriotic. None of them are patriotic. Conservatism with passion. The Mark Levin Show. Call in now. 877-381-3811. Isn't it amazing how blatantly and disgustingly hypocritical these people are? They make an enormous amount of money playing sports. And not just on the field. They're treated like royalty. They have the best medical care, the best food. They are adored. I'm quite serious about this. And what disgusting, unconscionable hypocrites. They want to do business in China. They want to benefit from what goes on in China while trashing our country and trashing the majority population in our country. The head of the NFL makes a fortune, tens of millions of dollars every year. He fell into that job. Spent his whole life working in the office there at the NFL. From a stupid little nothing lawyer to this. Stupid little nothing uh, league president. NBA. You see that guy that runs the NBA? What's that guy's name? Silver. That guy looks like he's suffering from a uh, from mal- malnutrition, doesn't he? What's going on there? What's going on with that guy? But the self-righteous, narcissistic self-aggrandizement is disgusting. Trashing the greatest country on the face of the earth. We don't have trouble with people trying to escape. We have trouble with people trying to escape other countries and coming here. Not so in communist China. Why don't they take a tour over there? Why don't they go find out what the Uyghurs are up to and how they're being treated? It's like this clown Omar, this anti-Semite racist. She has the gall to introduce the bill that she introduced. Has she ever condemned what's happening to the Uyghurs? To the Muslims in China? Or to the Muslim women throughout the Middle East? She says nothing. She's a fraud and a phony and a freak. Leftist. 
course, the media don't even care that she married her brother. That's what people say. No, 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 no. What, what, what are you, a white supremacist? That's it. What are you, what are you racist? Oh, excuse me. I, I won't say a word. Nothing. It's unbelievable. These universities and colleges that we pour hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars into, where your kids go broke with student loans, with the tenured Marxists, are pushing their agenda to overthrow this great country. They like communist China, though. Why? Because they're on the take, too. Just like athletes and corporations are on the take with communist China, so are colleges and universities. Right here, Beijing exploited the expertise of Chinese students conducting research in the United States to accelerate China's economic and military modernization. This is from FDD. Dozens of U.S. universities maintain ties to Chinese universities that conduct defense research in support of Beijing's military buildup, including work related to the country's nuclear weapons program. You know who reported that? It's going to shock you. NBC News. And they cited a study titled, The Middle Kingdom Meets Higher Education, published by the D.C.-based think tank Foundation for the Defense of Democracies. And the primary tool, China's infiltration in U.S. college campuses, are these Beijing-funded Confucius institutions. We've talked about that. The report vindicates the position taken by former President Trump's administration, which took measures to weed out these Beijing-controlled institutes from U.S. universities. On August 2020, then-Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, a great man, described the Confucius Institutes operating at U.S. campuses as an entry advancing Beijing's global propaganda malign influence. And these institutes were working to recruit spies and collaborators at American universities, Pompeo warned. Yeah, most of them are tenured professors, I'm sure. And following the tough stance, the FDT report concludes that these Confucius Institute closures significantly eroded malign Chinese influence on college campuses. But that's not the only mechanism used by China to scout for military technologies on U.S. campuses. U.S. universities often have separate mandatory contractual agreements with the Communist Party-selected Chinese sister universities. Over time... American universities frequently establish separate collaborative agreements with additional universities, including ones supporting Chinese defense establishment. So we have a lack, for the most part, not exclusively, a lack of patriotism in corporate America, a lack of patriotism in entertainment America, and a lack of patriotism in colleges and universities in this country. And you wonder why people burn down our buildings, pull down our monuments. If we were to put Mao monuments all over the country, do you think these same people would be pulling them down? Do you? Of course they wouldn't. It's Mao. Mao. Pretty unbelievable, really, what's going on in the United States. Very unbelievable. Colleges and universities we subsidize. Now, I point out in the book in Chapter 7, there's a number of things we can do. You folks who went to these various colleges and universities, they have these huge endowment funds, particularly the Ivy League schools, the worst of the worst. 
Well, demand your money back. Start a campaign with others, other alum, to starve them of the money. As I said, use the BDS movement against our enemies. Use the BDS movement against these colleges and universities. Go to the Republican governors and the Republican state legislatures in states like Florida and Texas and Nashville and so and Tennessee rather and so forth, and insist that they claw back funds from these these colleges and universities. So that's sacrosanct. Enough with the buildings. Enough with the Empire Building and the tennis courts. No. Enough is enough. But you have the ability to launch campaigns against the endowment funds that these universities and colleges have. You have the ability, particularly in Republican and red states, to claw back funding until this is stopped, along with critical race theory and other issues. The Marxist left, the American Marxists, they don't get monopoly control over textbooks, over tenure and professors, over who selects whom, over what's taught. That needs to be challenged. That needs to be confronted. Any college and university that is giving aid and comfort to the enemy, that is an unpatriotic organization that does not deserve your tax dollars, let alone the tuition that many of you pay for your kids. You can find out which colleges and universities these are. It's not hard. Some of the biggest names and the biggest brands are the worst. Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Columbia, NYU. I say this to NYU. F you. Fatties United. But there are things we can do. There are things you can do. Which is the point of chapter 7. You don't have to tolerate this stuff. Nor should we. We shouldn't tolerate this stuff. And you know, a lot of you don't. A lot of you have had enough with a lot of these states. And you can see what's happening in the country. You have, a, you have a lot of mobility going on. You see the depopulation of these, these blue states and the incoming population in these red states. Red states are not losing people. Blue states are. And there's a good reason for it. They suck. And I want to get into that a little bit, a little bit later. Wasn't it weird to hear Jen Psaki talk about big meat, Mr. Producer? Have you ever heard a press secretary for a president of the United States get up in front of the American people and talk about big meat? What does she mean by big meat? Well, the price of beef is going up, you see, even hamburger, even at the fast food, so it must be... A conspiracy. Big meat. Big meat is out to get you. Big oil is out to get you. Big automobile is out to get you. Big washing machine. Big dryer. Big dishwasher. They're all out to get you with the prices going up. Big house. Out to get you. Wait a minute. Don't they call this inflation? Yes, they do. What causes inflation? Democrats. Why? Embracing Marxism. Oh. Big Democrat is the source of most evil. Anyway, I would say to the press secretary, cut out the big meat 
term. It's inappropriate. Very inappropriate. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. California, here I come. Really doesn't apply anymore. You know, those of us guys like me who lived in Philadelphia, grew up on the East Coast, we always thought about California. You want to make it? Go to California. One of the freest states in the country. You want to do something interesting, exciting? Go to California. You want to know what entrepreneurship is like? You want to know where the great patriotic actors are and entertainers are? You want to know where probably, if not the, one of the most beautiful states is? California. Come to California. Millions, tens of millions did. American citizens. California. The land of Reagan. The land of opportunity. The land of hope. It's all been destroyed. Everything the American Marxists and the Democrat Party touches turns to crap. Everything. Things that have been working for decades, if not centuries, including your mind, it turns to crap. The most benevolent society on the face of the earth with the most diverse population, now we're at each other's necks, each other's throats. Citizenship meant something really big. Now we celebrate illegal immigration. A limited government, fiscally responsible government. Now the government is ubiquitous and spending is completely and utterly out of control. They did this. They took what was once the biggest Republican state. Just 25 years ago, they turned it into the biggest Democrat state. They took power. They changed the voting system. This is exactly why they're pushing a national centralized voting system. They want to turn every red state and the rest of the country into California, where a supermajority of Democrats and Republicans could never win. The number of people moving to California has significantly dropped since the pandemic started last year, while the number of people fleeing the state continues to rise continues to rise. They're trying to figure out why. It's not hard to figure out why. Because people want their liberty. They want opportunity. People are tired of being pushed around. People are tired of brownouts and blackouts and wildfires due to the fact that the radical no-growth environmentalists are in control of environmental policy. They want to have water when they need water. And yet... They can't have that either. Why would people stay? He's here. He's here. 
now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Well, America, this is the final hour of this year on the radio for me. I won't be here tomorrow. Richie V, our call screener and wonderful radio host and podcaster, he will be here. I will be back on January 3rd. We have some wonderful guest hosts who really are good. Uh, Cream of the crop, they will be here, as well as some of the great best ofs. So please don't miss it. Uh, And since I won't be talking to you again until after Christmas, I hope you'll take the opportunity to go to Amazon.com, take advantage of what Amazon has chosen to do, which is to subsidize the sale of American Marxism to you. Uh, I don't ask any questions. If that's what they want to do, that's their problem. It's 50% off. So the regular price, retail price, of course, is $28, but for you, it's going to be $14. Uh, And also our wonderful retail stores that still have the book, Walmart, Target, BJ's, Books a Million, Barnes & Noble, and so forth and so on. So when you're out shopping, uh, the book is available to you should you want to uh, acquire copies and give them out to uh, people who ought to read it. And uh, again, I want to thank you very, very much without Twitter, without Facebook, um, without any major media, not a single network show, not a single major newspaper, uh, it is the biggest adult book fiction or nonfiction, in 2021 in the entire country. In the entire country. Then that's thanks to you. It's thanks to this movement we've built, this movement that still most of the media do, ne- do not even understand has taken place. Uh, they just think you're reacting to the Democrats. Well, you are. They just think you're reacting to Biden. You are, but you're reacting to more than that. A lot more than that. And uh, that's very, very good. Very, very good. Uh, <clears throat> I mentioned this in, in passing yesterday. Now I want to spend another few minutes on it. Over at Zero Hedge, which is a great site. The United States, that is the Biden administration, has rejected the request from the state of Israel for expedited tanker aircraft amid Iran threat. The Biden administration has rejected an urgent Israeli request to accelerate the delivery of a fuel tanker aircraft These are considered vital to Israel's strategic preparations to attack Iran, according to a report in the New York Slimes. The White House has instead indicated that the first aircraft won't be ready until at least 2024. The request was conveyed during last week's Israeli delegation trip, led by Defense Minister Benny Gantz. Why don't they just call it a pipeline and give it to Israel the way they gave that pipeline to Russia? What do you think, folks? They pressed the U.S. administration officials to get on board in implementing a joint strike plan against Iran should nuclear talks in Vienna fail to advance. Now, why do they want to strike Iran first? Because once they get nukes, it's a big problem. That's why. And they are really within a few eyelashes of getting it, according to our generals. Gantz conveyed the request for faster tanker delivery directly to his U.S. counterpart, Lloyd Austin. That's a hopeless cause. The U.S. side was seen as putting the brakes on Israel's desire to go straight to a military option, 
Gantz was informed that the planes, which total eight Boeing-made KC-46 tankers worth an estimated $2.4 billion, are currently on back order. But the New York Times report noted the Pentagon is looking into speeding up the process. Currently, Israel's Boeing 707 tankers are over 50 years old, but the new fleet of KC-46s would provide its Air Force much greater range. The ability to refuel is critical, otherwise Israeli planes would have to depend on the aging tankers or land in the United Arab Emirates or Saudi Arabia. Both countries are rivals of Iran, but neither wants to be implicated in assisting an attack. And the White House's reluctance to speed up deliveries being perceived as part of overall resistance to Israel's current earnings to initiate joint strike preparations targeting Iranian sites. While Tel Aviv has lately pressed that the U.S. abandon the Vienna dialogue altogether, Biden's still holding out for a restored nuclear deal. Well, the Iranians have already abandoned it for all intents and purposes. So they're playing rope dope with the biggest dope of them all. Lunch bucket idiot. The U.S. has reportedly also warned Iran against acting alone in a military strike. We're always warning everybody. You know, China, you better not out of Taiwan. You know, Russia, you've been out of Ukraine. We're going to really smack you with economic stuff. We're going to treat you like a successful American businessman and cream you and crush you. The New York Times report detailed that Mr. Bennett, Israeli officials say, created a substantial budget for exercises to rehearse an aerial attack and argue that any effort to restore the nuclear agreement would lead to a flawed deal that would allow Iran to speed ahead toward making a bomb. Part of the problem Israel has is they have a fraudulent prime minister who negotiated his way into that job. I think he had like five or six or seven members of the parliament in his party behind him out of 120. And they did it all to try and take out Netanyahu. And furthermore, we now see the whole case against Netanyahu was a house of cards put together by, by these outrageously out-of-control prosecutors. Imagine. And the idiot attorney general of that country. And so uh, one key witness after another is turning, to be out, uh, turning out to be a key witness for Netanyahu. Case is falling apart. You don't hear about that much in the United States. You only heard about the charges against Netanyahu. That's pretty much the way it works, right? It's a lot the way it works. Now, you may not believe this, but it's true because I read it. So it must be true uh, in The Federalist. Even with bad approval ratings, the nation's top four Democratic leaders are more popular than Republican Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. According to an aggregate of polls maintained by Real Clear Politics, a very small percentage of Americans view McConnell favorably. 59% have a negative view. He has a net negative of 35%. McConnell's Democratic counterpart in the upper chamber, Schmucky Chucky Schumer, he earned 32% favorability rating, Pelosi 34%, Harris 40%. But McConnell is below that. The low ratings signal a challenge for McConnell and the GOP's leader's effort to maintain control of the Republican conference beyond next year's midterms. With one seat needing to flip in a hostile year for Democrats, Republicans hold the advantage. All right, it goes on. But here's the deal. McConnell's awful. Awful. 
he uses the, the intricacies of Senate processes to control his colleagues. He threatens them. He threatens to withhold money from them. He's in bed with the U.S. Chamber of Crony Capitalism and their ilk. He has muscled up this National Republican Senatorial Committee, which is his little baby, where he gets advice from Karl Rove on what to do. You know, the architect of the uh, Eiffel Tower there, Carl. Yeah. That was a hell of a race in 2000, Carl. That, that was a hell of an architecture you put down. Again. All right, anyway. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Brett Bear, my friend, how are you tonight? Hey, Mark, how are you? I'm doing great. Now, everyone knows you like to golf. Um, I do. You know, a lot of the great golfers. Uh, you come out of a, the Atlanta area, don't you, or am I mistaken? I grew up in Atlanta, that's right. I played some of the, golf some in high school there. Some of the great golf courses there in Georgia. Amazing. And uh, have you ever played golf at the Jupiter Golf Club or anything like that in Florida? I have. I have. Is it any good? It is. Tremendous. for a reason. It is? Okay. They, you know, that Jupiter Island, they have all these golfers who live there, all these pros. Have you noticed that? I have noticed that. Yeah. There's a lot of them. All right. Well, this is going nowhere. I was just curious no, about it. No, no, no. I'm here. telling you that this uh, is a, it's a mecca for PGA pros. And um, they flock there, not for one course, but for the whole environment. And have you ever so, thought of there? Have you ever thought of living there? Seriously, one day? One day, definitely. That's a great I mean, area. Uh, right? Yeah. Uh, it's tremendous. And we go down to Palm Beach a lot, and uh, I can always aspire. <laughs> well, you should uh, look me up there someday. We'd love to have you, by the way. My wife Excellent. Yeah. All right. Um, you have a fantastic book. To Rescue the Republic, Ulysses S. Grant, The Fragile Union, and the Crisis of 1876. The book has done fantastically well. It would make a great stocking stuffer, a great Christmas gift. People can get it at Amazon.com, any retail store, as a matter of fact. And uh, Ulysses S. Grant has been long misunderstood living in the shadows of Abraham Lincoln. Wouldn't you agree with that? I really think that's what the book did. Uh, And, you know, his... His list on the historian's vote, and however you take that, you know, historians voting on presidents, he's gone up about 13 spots just in recent years. But I I do think that this book is another look at his presidency. And you know this from your amazing book, that congratulations on all the success. I mean, holy cow, it's record-breaking. But you read those reviews and just people who read the book on Amazon or wherever, you, you know, Barnes and Noble, and you go down in there and you just click on some of the people that take time to type. And what I got out of that is that people's eyes were opened uh, to really an American hero, not just in the uh, Union general position, but in the presidency, trying to hold the country together as the country was really tipping towards a second civil war. And it was tipping towards a second civil war because, as you point out, you know, you have the the great Abraham Lincoln's assassinated. You have Andrew Johnson, who's a disaster and was not sympathetic uh, 
to and was often drunk, by the way, but not sympathetic to uh, uh, what would take place after the war. And uh, and Ulysses S. Grant had his hands full, and he went after the Klan, as you write in your book. He sent the army down there. They had some good success, and then the Democrats took over the House, and so he kind of had to end that, right? He did. And, you know, Reconstruction is coming to an end at the end of his presidency. But he's done really consequential things. He fought for the 14th Amendment, the 15th Amendment. As you mentioned, he sent federal troops after KKK and white militia, causing all kinds of havoc in the South. Um, He then, in this election of 1876, really is the conciliatory force, the one that is holding everything together, and he makes this grand bargain um, to give the presidency to Rutherford B. Hayes. Samuel Tilden is also a, a hero in this story, in that he's the Democrat. He does not fight to the death on this election. Uh, he steps aside, and the South agrees to get autonomy and uh, get carpetbaggers out of uh, positions in the South, but also agrees to uh, equality for blacks and uh, to to plug into the Union, which in the years that followed, um, other presidents didn't take Grant's torch there. No, he really was way ahead of his time. And you know, it's very interesting, as you also point out in the book, he married a woman whose father was pro-slave and... Uh, he married into this family, and there was a slave that uh, his wife brought along into the marriage. And then eventually, he uh, goes down wherever it is, to the courthouse or anything, or wherever it is, to specifically free the slave, correct? You, you have a better yes, handle on this. Early on, he's, he's kind of gifted this slave by Colonel Dent, Julia Dent's um, father. And he has a real problem with it. His father is an abolitionist, and and, um, and he grows to be that, um, and he frees the slave right away, legally. And, you know, the book ends, and I've talked about this before with you, but it ends in real time in San Francisco as this statue of Ulysses S. Grant is being pulled down after the George, George Floyd protests, and a reporter is, is reporting as this thing is toppling it almost looks like the Saddam Hussein statue falling down. And it, they go interview the people, and they say, why are you doing this? And they say, he had a slave, and he was part of the Civil War. This needs to change. And I put that in the book because it really incensed me, because I think we as a country have so much to do when it comes to history, to know where we've been, how far we've come, and how far we have yet to go. But those folks who pulled that statue down didn't realize that Ulysses S. Grant was honestly one of our best leaders in fighting for black equality, uh, citizenship, voting, and everything else. As you write these books, and they are very, very superb books, as you write these books over time, and you look what's happening in the country and our schools and all, and I, I, I don't want us to be a Pollyanna about this. Are you optimistic about what kids are being taught? Are you optimistic that American history can actually survive truth-telling? So I'm, I'm realistic, and I think that it takes an active um, adult class of people who have uh, some knowledge of history uh, to be able to interject 
back uh, to our kids. And I think it takes an active uh, parent group that is not walking away from schools and just letting their, them do their thing, but to say, what's happening inside those classrooms? I think Virginia was really an eye-opener uh, for a lot of parents, and in part because they had all this time with online uh, studies. And they were looking over their kids' shoulders on the computer and saying, wait, what's happening in that classroom? And uh, so it's, it takes active uh, uh, participation, but I am optimistic. The country, as you know, is a pendulum. I mean, it swings. And I think, um, you know, it, with, with the right intentions, we can, we can do the right things. You know, you're one of, in my opinion, you're one of the few real journalists out there. No journalist is perfect, but some strive to be as straight as they can when it comes to the news, choosing what to report on, choosing what not to report on, choosing what guests to have on, and that sort of thing. Um, and yet, our network, Fox, comes under constant attack from CNN and MSNBC and others who clearly do not strive, as you do specifically, to maintain the profession. What is that like? You know, I've been there almost 25 years, and it has been a fact since the beginning. I think there have been networks and publications and other organizations that have had it out uh, for Fox. Um, you know, we weren't number one at the beginning. We, we became number one, but we always kind of had that scrappy attitude to kind of dig the story out, at least from my perspective on the, on the news side. And so it, it's bizarre to me to get as much coverage as the channel gets. You know, my ideal show is, is one in which we are nowhere near the news. I never want to be the news. I want to cover the news. And uh, the channel gets a lot of attention, in part because it's people that I think are, are threatened by its success, I'm guessing. Now, this Sunday, you're doing the Sunday show, correct? Who are you going to have on? I am. Uh, we're locking that down, but they will be big guests, yeah. and I'm really excited about it. This is amazing staff on Fox News Sunday, and um, it, it, we'll announce it tomorrow, but we're locking it in right now. Well, I wish you all the best. The book is to rescue the republic, Ulysses S. Grant. The establishment's worst nightmare. Mark Levin. Call in now. 877-381-3811. Brett Baer's book is, is outstanding. I commend it to you strongly. To Rescue the Republic, Ulysses S. Grant, The Fragile Union and the Crisis of 1876. I didn't mean to put him on the spot on the guests. I didn't know they weren't selected yet. And uh, the golf thing interests me because I can tell when he speaks he's interested in golf. I'm curious what courses he uses and so forth. Maybe I don't know enough to even discuss it, you know. But the book is the key. To Rescue the Republic, Ulysses S. Grant, The Fragile Union and the Crisis of 1876. Those of you who are concerned your kids aren't really learning history, Brett Baer writes wonderful history books. He really does. So I want to commend it to you. You can go to Amazon.com right now and grab your copy. Well, this should be interesting. We're going to go to Flora in England, the United Kingdom. Flora, how are you tonight? Hi, Mark. I'm doing extremely well. How are you? 
Very well, thank you. What time? It's in the middle of the day, in the middle of the early morning there, isn't it? Like three or four or five? It is. It's half past one in the morning, but I oh. thought I would stay up to make a call. Thank I did you. it last year, too. I, you may remember that I phoned you about a year ago. You're Flora. Yeah, no, I remember Flora. Oh, great. I'm so glad. Well, I listen to you every day. Thank you, Flora. It's amazing. Anyway, People listen all over the world. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. But, Flora, you go ahead. I don't want to cut you off. Oh, don't worry. I'm calling because yesterday you led with the trans issue. And basically, I think a lot of people need to hear that most transgender people aren't actually interested in the trans movement. I'm certainly not. Mm-hmm. I actually think, in the same way that I suspect, I'm white, but I suspect that a lot of black people don't feel represented by BLM. Mm-hmm. I actually think that the trans movement disadvantages and makes a great disservice to to people like me because I just want to blend in. I don't want to make a fuss. I don't believe in all of these different categories and names mm-hmm. and badges. I think it's all rubbish. I agree 100%, and I always say this. Let people do, if people are going to do what they're going to do, what they feel they need to do, so be it. Why do we have a whole movement? And why are these movements always radical extremist movements? Exactly, exactly. It, well, it's really a Trojan horse, I think. I think I you're think 100% really right. Horse, which is really, well, it's right, that's exactly what, you, what you're saying in your book and what you're saying your, on your radio show every day. The other issue I want to raise is that I think you might remember that a year ago when I phoned, I told you that I was just finishing my law degree. Mm-hmm. Well, I've got my law degree now, and I'm now studying for an LLM. I don't know if that exists in America. It's, it's like a master's degree. of law. That's right. Mm-hmm. Now, once I get that, I really want, who knows what will happen, but I would really love to become a legal immigrant to the United States. Really? And if I, yes, if I do it, I'll do it properly, obviously. And I'll obey all the laws. And uh, I really resent people who think they can short-circuit that because it's a big process. And it should be because moving from one country, is, from one country to another is a big, is a big thing. Mm-hmm. And you have to respect the country that is taking you in. But to be frank, living standards in this country in Great Britain are falling mm-hmm. quite badly. The cost of fuel... You often talk about the cost of gas in America. Mm-hmm. And I laugh because in this country... Mm-hmm. Uh, we pay some in, in dollars, about $2 for a litre. That's not a gallon, that's a litre. Mm-hmm. Now, yes. because uh, Britain, even under the Tories, has moved hard left. And, uh, you know, when people say, you know, in Europe they do this, in Europe they, you know, Bernie Sanders does this all the time. In Europe they do this, and you know, who cares? Why would we do this? I mean, to me, Europe is an experiment in failed um, uh, Marxism with these socialist economic uh, uh, systems that they put in place. Everything costs more. You get a lot less of it. People seem pretty damn miserable for the most part. I don't know why people don't embrace this country and the greatness of this country. I mean, I know why they don't, because they want to overthrow it, but there ought to be more and more people. They just have never really been so many people. They've never really faced totalitarianism. They can talk about what happened 150 years ago, but they can't talk about what happens day in and day day out here. And then they create these uh, the, these images of, of the United States as being, you know, wildly racist and so forth and so on. It's a very, very evil poison. Uh, 
But Flora, I uh, want to thank you very, you. very much, and uh, congratulations to you. You're well on your way, I think, and you take care of yourself. All right, let us continue. Let us go to Paul, Stanford, New York, the great WABC. Paul, go right ahead, please. Yeah. Hello, Mark. Uh, first off, I'd like to say I, I, I love your show. I find Thank you informative, you. thought-provoking, and quite entertaining. Thank you. Um, so the NFL, is not the NFL, the existence of it, an indictment of equity, are not the players mostly from modest and poor backgrounds. They get to where they are because they're the best at what they do. And they're handsomely rewarded for it. So, if the NFL is so woke, why not apply the concept of equity to the NFL? What if we looked at it and said, well, you know, we don't have enough women. We don't have enough Pacific Islanders. We don't have enough people with disabilities. Mm-hmm. What kind of league would we have? You think that could be the other stuff to China? I, I think you're right on. Because they know that that's not going to happen. See, this, this is the problem, the, the, the self-aggrandizement, uh, taking knees, doing things like that, but it doesn't affect their lives. It's like Black Lives Matter. Is Black Lives Matter actually in the black community helping, helping black people? No, they're not. They're really not. <clears throat> and uh, so, so if a LeBron James supports Black Lives Matter or supports a radical Democrat for office, it's not going to change where he lives, how much money he makes, and so forth. There's no way he's going to condemn China because it's his, uh, uh, it's, 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 in part, it's a significant portion of his income with Nike and so forth. But it's easy to attack Georgia, the Republicans in Georgia. The media will give you an easy time. In fact, they'll pat you on the back and tell you what a good guy you are. Same with these jerk coaches. Uh, I can't remember their name. Pavlich. What's the other guy's name? That doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Jay, good points. Good call, my friend. I appreciate it. I mean, Paul, sorry, Paul. Let's go to Jay, Marion, Ohio, on the Mark Levin app. Jay, how are you? Good, Mark. Hey, Mark, when you were uh, talking earlier about uh, uh, Twitter pulling that video off its uh, uh, site that Donald Trump was trying to calm things down at the, uh, the riots there, I would think that is a very serious uh, issue for them and goes beyond just this uh, uh, I don't think I said that. Did I, Mr. Producer? That Twitter pulled down his video? I don't believe I said that. I I wasn't aware that they did. If they did, that's appalling. Yeah, you did say that as part of No, I didn't say that. What I said was he did a video. Uh, at yeah. four something or other in the afternoon. I, I don't believe I ever mentioned Twitter in relation to that. But go ahead, oh, make your maybe, point. Uh, well, uh, that uh, uh, if I think that goes beyond just um, censoring conservative opinion on the sites, because here you had a government official who was trying to intercede in a dangerous situation by using that uh, channel of communication, and that was shut off. I mean, I think that has legal consequences, apparently uh, and not, and so forth, and certainly uh, is evidence for uh, you know uh, maybe denying these. Uh, that would be uh, certainly uh, evidence uh, for denying them some uh, protection. Uh, well, look, that. this needs to be addressed. I mean, if Twitter is in Facebook. Uh, particularly the Zuckerberg and what he's done with hundreds of millions of dollars to influence the, the his sleazy efforts to influence the outcome of the election on behalf of the Democrats and Biden. 
Trump's video was suppressed, but I didn't mention that. That's that. That's uh, now I hear it. But I'm saying I'm making the point that you cannot have free reign. You cannot be treated as some kind of public utility, which is what they've wanted all these years while they're raking in billions, stealing your data. Uh, and basically, you're an appendage of the Democrat Party and the American Marxist movement. You're a threat to the First Amendment. You're a threat, a threat to free elections and competition. That just can't be tolerated. Uh, so they have special privileges that protect them. Uh, they become something else. They're, they're really quite monstrous. And so the protection needs to be removed. Uh, that's yeah. why the media have become what the media are, because they got special protection from the Supreme Court in a Supreme Court case that had nothing to do with actual law or precedent. And so they make it virtually impossible for people to sue these, uh, these media outlets successfully, uh, so they're immune. So they don't tell the truth, so they push an agenda, so they smear people left and right. You do that on your own, you're going to be punished. It's because we believe in the First Amendment and free speech, but the problem is they don't believe in free speech. They believe in tyranny. All right, my friend. Jay, good call. I'll be right back. Lovin. Only a few more minutes left for me this year, broadcasting behind this microphone. It's been a very strange year, in many ways a very difficult year, uh, to watch the Biden administration come into place and destroy a perfectly superb economy, secure borders, um, and to uh, basically stir the pot for this Marxist agenda, and it's not over yet. On the other hand, I think many of our fellow citizens who were duped are not duped any longer, and that's thanks to you. I can't tell you what an enormous honor it is for me to be here with you five nights a week. I cannot tell you what an enormous honor it is to know that millions of you participate. Whatever you're doing, whether you're in your vehicle, dinner, at some event, and listen to this program, because it's on at a very tough time of the day. And that's because of you. I want to thank you for watching Life, Liberty, and Levin on Fox. I want to thank you for participating in Levin TV and the Blaze TV Network. And I want to thank you for taking seriously what's happening in this country and being engaged and not just giving up and surrendering to it. I want to thank you for your embrace of American Marxism. It took me 16 months to write, to research, and to think through. And you have made it a spectacular success, not because of sales, but because it's in the hands of over one million fellow Americans. They cannot keep us down, nor will they keep us down. This is a fantastic country because you, we are a fantastic people. We were never going to allow these American Marxists, the media, academia, entertainment, and the Democrat Party to drag us down and to change this country without engaging them. Christmas, Hanukkah, it's a time to celebrate family. That's what you and I are all about, family. Why are we defending this country, the principles of this country? Why are we defending private property rights and unalienable rights? Why are we defending individual humanity? That's because 
we want to live that way. We want our kids to live that way. And we want our grandkids to live that way. Nothing comes good of big, ubiquitous, centralized government. Nothing. History tells us this. Mankind has suffered enormously as a result of it. So we're not going away. In fact, we are going to re-energize our engines. And come the new year, these forces of evil will not know what hit them. Just as they didn't know what hit them in the first Tuesday of November in these various elections across the country. You and I understand that this is bigger than politics. It's about the culture. It's about the future of this society and whether it remains civil. We have a daunting and complex battle ahead. That if we're not engaged in this battle, we will not survive. What will be left to our children and our grandchildren? What will this country look like a hundred years from now if we cede it to these miscreants, reprobates, and malcontents? It'll be over. It'll be over. Instead of people trying to pour over the border, coming into the country, people will try to escape the country. We'll just be another lost, failed democracy rather than a strong, powerful, constitutional republic. We are blessed to be born here by the grace of God. There are people who haven't been born here. They've been born elsewhere. Many people are blessed to have successfully and legally immigrated into the United States. And they know they're blessed, which is why most of them came here. So I want you to use the next few weeks to love your family, to enjoy your family. New years are kind of uh, difficult. You look back on the past year, many happy moments, and for some very, very tragic moments. You always hope the new year will be better and the one after that and the one after that. You make of it what you may. You make of it what you may. It's not by happenstance. So I look forward to seeing you next year. I want to thank you more than you could possibly know. May God bless each and every one of you. Be safe, be happy, be healthy, and be careful. And I will see you next year on January 3rd. God bless you, and God bless America.